Heavenly Father, this morning, we sing out hallelujah to you because death is defeated. The grave could not hold him. The enemy thought that he had won. But what a major miscalculation. Because death has been defeated. That is the gospel. That is the good news. You see, you can't separate the good news, the gospel, from the resurrection. It is the resurrection that brings us hope. That brings us life. It does separate us from all other religions. Oh, when they took him down from that cross. The enemy was laughing. Thinking he had won. They laid him in that tomb. Rolled the stone in front. The enemy thought, oh, that's it. I've done it. I've done it. But he did not know the power. The power of our God. Of Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Rophi. Jehovah Tishkenu. Jehovah Shalom. He did not know the power. He should have remembered the power because it cast him down. Well, let me tell you something. The power showed up. So today, Heavenly Father, we sing out hallelujah. Because the resurrection restores hope. Restores faith. Restores love. Restores peace into our lives. Allow us to be a conduit, God, of your love and your peace and your joy and your, your long-suffering and your caring to those around us. See, this isn't just a day. And this day is not about bunnies and eggs, my friend. This day is about the power of God unto salvation. So when we come together, as churches across the world are celebrating today, we celebrate the power that comes to us through the resurrection. Thank you for the power that you bestow upon your people, Heavenly Father, to live the life, the Zoe life, that you desire us to live in each and every day. Not on Sundays, not on just Easter's, but each and every day. You desire us to walk 
in your power and your authority. Carrying your love and your peace and your compassion to those around us that need hope where there is no hope. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Well, God bless you this morning. Good morning again, Reach Church, and good morning to our friends online. I mean, this is an amazing Sunday. It is the Sunday of Sundays. It is the day when our God said, I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to show you my awesomeness. You know, throughout history, there have been things that have affected generations. I know for certain generations, my, grandfather, my grandparents' generation, they talked a lot about the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and how that affected a generation. They talked about how, how poor people were in the, in, the, in the 30s and in the 20s uh, through that time frame, and that affected that generation. But you know, for my generation, you know, it seems like a, such a long time ago. So it did affect a generation. Maybe you're the generation that, that remembers uh, the assassination of Kennedy, where you were when that happened. And, and I know that was for my parents' generation. That was an event that they talked about quite often. You know, for me, I remember as a, as a young man uh, where I was when the, when the Challenger shuttle. Remember the Challenger shuttle? I remember exactly where I was, downtown Colorado Springs, the old Chevy dealership. I was dropping off my, my Chevy to get worked on again. Uh, and so I, I remember that, that day where I was uh, when that happened. Maybe 9-11, that's a major event that has affected a generation, Correct. And not to put those things down, but, but as we go through history, and you can start with, with, with our brief history here in America, some of the things that have happened, you know, Lexington, and, you know, I, I think of the Model T, and now we're at Tesla's, you know, the Kitty Hawk in, in the first flight, and maybe, maybe when, when, the, when the man foot, put his foot on the moon, maybe, maybe remember where you were when that happened. And that, that's big for that generation. But let me tell you something. The resurrection didn't just affect one generation. It continues to affect every generation. Now, to the disciples, it says that they turned the world upside down. You can read that in Acts. They turned the world upside down. And yet, for 2,000 years, it's still turning the world upside down. Amen? It still has the power to change lives. To affect people not just one generation as those things that I spoke about which are nonetheless important for that generation and for my generation as well. But the resurrection continues to touch generation after generation after generation after generation. You see, on the day that we're celebrating the resurrection, we understand that all of our hope, all of our desires as people of God rest on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, 
Jesus was a really good teacher who did some miracles, who taught some really cool lessons, but he was just another person that died. But thank God that is not what we celebrate today, amen? Here's what the Jerusalem Post, I wrote this. I'm definitely not a professional writer. Here's what the Jerusalem Post would have read after the crucifixion. See, on Tuesday or Wednesday when that edition came out. Jesus, a really nice guy and a teacher who healed some people, had some great sermons. Some thought he was the Messiah. Some people actually thought that he was going to kick out the Romans, give us back our land again. Died today by crucifixion. End of story. But thank you, Jesus, that's not the end of the story. Amen? There would not be a, a church today. There would not be a, a New Testament. There would not be all the people's lives that have been changed for generation after generation after generation without the power of the resurrection. And, and we read about this in the Old Testament. But let me just read to you from, from Luke quickly. Here's what changes generation after generation after generation. He is not here. He is risen. There have been a lot of, and, and you know, and I've said this before, you know, I'm into sports, so I remember where I was. Game one, 1988 World Series, home run bottom of the ninth. It's important to me. I remember what they said, in, in a season that seems improbable, the impossible has happened. That's what he shouted out when that home run was hit. But let me tell you, something greater has been spoken. He is risen. That will affect generations for forever. Let's look at the Old Testament. There were promises in the Old Testament. Here's one about the Messiah. Who has believed what, we ha what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here's what it goes on to say. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we were healed. And yet, in the Old Test, in the, in the beginning of the disciples, they thought, man, this guy is coming. He's going he's gonna to run out the, the Romans. He's going to conquer. We're going to get our land back. We're going to be just like we were when David was our king. We were the best of the best. And yet, from the Old Testament, we read, that was not God's plan. That was not God's plan. God had bigger plans, amen? I said this to the youth. You know, sometimes we pray and we don't get exactly what we want. Anybody ever had that happen? Or is it just me? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand for you. 
And they had their Rubik's Cube and they were messing around. I said, sometimes, and I messed up the Rubik's Cube, not enough, because they got it together really quick. And I held up the Rubik's Cube and it was all different colors and stuff. I'm like, and you know, when we're praying, sometimes we look at that Rubik's Cube and we're like, man, that looks pretty good. I mean, the red's there and the green's there and there's a yellow and there's a blue and there's a blah and there's a... And we think, man, we're praying for this and this is, a, this is what I want, God. And I threw it back to them and they put the Rubik's Cube back together the way it should go. And I said, okay, throw it back to me. And it was the way it was supposed to go. I'm like, but this is what God wants when we pray. You see, they were praying for Jesus. Hey, get rid of these Romans. I mean, he's coming as a conqueror. He's coming back as a conquering king, amen? That's what they wanted. They didn't understand the rest of the story. You see, David writes concerning him, and this is quoted in Acts chapter 2. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will make me full of gladness with your presence. You see, there were promises made in the Old Testament. But they don't always line up with what we want, amen? They don't always line up with exactly what we're praying for at that moment. I mean, Jesus tried to tell them, listen, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days so the Son of Man shall be. He tried to give them a hint. But sometimes we don't take the hint. You see, he's no longer still on the cross, nor in the grave. He is risen. So I want to talk about the resurrection and confirm what Jesus claimed he proved out because of the resurrection. So let's run through these. The resurrection brings hope and salvation. You see, without the resurrection, we have no hope. We're just a group of people that don't have anything to do on Sunday mornings. So we come together and hang out, drink some coffee, have some donuts, talk, for, talk a little bit about the weather and about sports, and then we go back home and have lunch. But it is the resurrection that brings us together with hope and with salvation. Here's what Romans chapter 10 says. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say, uh, maybe kind of, sort of, sometimes on the, on the third Tuesday, you know. It says you will be. That is the hope that we live in each and every day. But without the resurrection... There is no hope. You see, the resurrection proved that Christ was divine. See, Jesus proved his deity by fulfilling the prophecies of his death and by his return from the grave. Otherwise, he's just another person that died. There's graves everywhere. Drive around town. They're all over the place. I've attended funerals. I've done funerals. And one day, I'm going to have a funeral. It's true. But the resurrection gives me hope in that. Amen? Here's what Romans says. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, it is 
what causes us to live the life that we live each and every day. You see, the resurrection propelled the apostles to do something amazing, to turn the world upside down. I mean, you read through the, through the book of Acts, the history of the church, and, and you read about Peter preaches about it. Stephen preaches about it. Paul preaches about it. You cannot find a spot in the New Testament that is not preached about. Why? Because it is the power of salvation. It is the reason that we live our life. So I say this. It propelled the apostles slash disciples to do amazing things. What will it propel you to do? You see, I don't want you to have just a life. I wake up, talked about this in Instate the other day. You know, I don't want to live a life where I wake up, have breakfast, come to work, come home, eat dinner, do some chores, watch a little TV, go to bed. Rinse, repeat. We're, we're, we are here for something bigger than that. Because of the resurrection, do something bigger than that. See, the resurrection proved Christ's power to forgive sin. I mean, he had told people, your sins are forgiven, go. But without the resurrection, it's just a really nice guy with a good story and who had told some stories and who had healed some people. Just, just go do your thing. But the resurrection was more than that. By, ra by raising from the dead, Jesus proved his authority and power to break the bonds of sin and to assure forgiveness and eternal life to all who accept his gift of salvation. Here's what 1 Corinthians says. And if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. That, my friend, is a miserable state. That is a miserable state to be in. You see, the resurrection revealed Christ's power over death. Do you know when, when he raised Lazarus from the dead? When he raised the young lady from the dead? Do you know when the prophet came in the Old Testament and raised the son up from the widow of Zarephath? Do you know they all had to die again? I mean, I think it would be bad the first time, but they had to do it twice. But look what it says about Christ. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And that's a good thing. Here's why. Because the resurrection secured our victory over death as well. It secured our victory over death as well. Here's what it says in Ephesians. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we're already seated in heavenly places. We don't have to fear death. It's going to happen, but I don't have to fear it. I want to tell you, as a kid, man, I was deathly afraid of death. I don't know what it was. I hadn't, I, all my relatives were still alive. I had never even been to a funeral. 
But for some reason, it just raged inside of me. Man, I would just sit and sob. Tell my mom, I mean, I was just a little kid. Mom, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And she's like, where did this come from? I don't have any of that. You know why? Because of the resurrection. Because I already know I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm already seated in heavenly places. When it happens, it happens. I get to go be with Jesus. That is a hope that we live in and that we walk in each and every day. You see, the resurrection defeated God's enemy. From the moment of the enemy's original rebellion until the cross, the devil fought viciously and cunningly to try to overthrow the kingdom of God. Satan must have thought they had dealt the final and decisive blow. But it didn't happen that way. The cross was heaven's triumph. And when Christ arose, the power of sin and death was forever shattered because of the resurrection. We never need to fear Satan, our enemy, or death again. Here's what Revelation 1.18 says. He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus has the keys. Anybody, uh, when you were a kid, borrow your parents' car? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what the deal is. This genera- the generation that's just behind me, they do not want to get their driver's license. I want to tell you something. When it was time, I'm knocking on the door. Let me in. I want the keys to dad's car. I'm going to do some crazy stuff. It's amazing to have the keys. Anybody ever, don't raise your hand. No, raise your hand. I don't want to see. I'm closing my eyes. You can raise your hand. I don't want to see. Anybody ever wrecked their parents' car? They borrow the keys and they wreck the car. I'm not looking. I'm not looking, right? It's amazing. You know when you have the keys? You have the power. Jesus has the keys. He's got the keys. He's got the power. Here's what Colossians chapter 2 says. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, i.e. the cross. See, they thought... That was the end of the story. But it wasn't. It was the beginning of the story. There's one version that says, Had Satan known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That was the end of him. That was his defeat. And, but none of this could have happened without the resurrection. In his book, Countdown, G.B. Hardy offers thought-provoking questions about the resurrection. Here's what he said. There are but two essential requirements. Number one, has anyone cheated death and proved it? Yes. And number two, is it available to me? Because if Jesus would have raised from the dead and said, okay, that's it, we're still in our sin. I mean, we're, we're, we're just following along. 
There's no hope in me. I mean, there's no hope in me. But is it available to me? Yes. Here's what he goes on to say. Here's the complete record. Confucius' tomb, occupied. Buddhist tomb, occupied. Mohammed's tomb, occupied. Sun Young Moon tomb, that's hard to say that five times fast. <laughs> occupied. Jesus' tomb, empty. Historical evidence and countless changed lives testify that the resurrection of Jesus is a fact and not a fable. You know, there's so many stories about the resurrection where people try to prove that it didn't happen. One says, you know, when they took him down off, this was, this was really good. When they took him down off the cross, he wasn't really dead. I mean, you know who was really good at killing people? The Romans. So the centurion lied to his boss, who then lied to Pontius Pilate when he said, is he already dead? Yeah, he's dead. You don't lie to those people. You're kidding me, right? He, he wasn't really dead. He was just kind of unconscious. I mean, the Romans, they weren't really good at what they did. The Romans were really good at what they did. So let me give you four points concerning the resurrection. Number one, the resurrection inspires hope where there is fear. You see, there was so much fear when, he, when Jesus was arrested. Most of the disciples, poof, they split. They were out. They said, we got to find a place to hide. This is not going well. I mean, Peter followed along, but we know what Peter did, Right? The sheep were scattered. Pastor Derek quotes this verse all the time. That if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And that's what happened. They started to smite Christ at the trial. When they arrested him, the disciples were like, we're out. We got to go. Let's go hide. Those tough guys, they were talking the business. As soon as he got arrested, they were out. Here's what it says in John chapter 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for what? For fear of the Jews. You see, the whole situation brought fear. They thought he was going to be a conquering king right that moment. But when he was arrested, and even before he was arrested, people were like, man, I, I mean, I'd really like to follow him. But man, the Jews, they're mean. And the Romans are worse. There was fear in the camp. But let me tell you something. The resurrection doesn't allow fear anymore. It inspires hope. Here's what it said. Ask Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away the body. Nicodemus was there with him. Do you know who Nicodemus is? John chapter 3, that's, that's Nicodemus. Comes to him at night. It says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to, to Jesus by night. Why? Because of fear. I mean, I can't go during the day. Those guys are going to see me. Uh, i got to sneak around at night. Uh, maybe I can get a meeting with him in the evening. When, it, when everybody's at home. 
The, the Jewish rulers, the Romans, they won't see me. I'll sneak in. I, I, I want to have a meeting, but I'm going to sneak in. Since they came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Fear kept them from worshiping him in the light. Now we know that there was fear in the camp. Here's why. It says the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to get Simon, Peter, and the other disciples. You know why they weren't there? Because they were afraid. They were locked up. They were in the upper room or wherever they were hanging out, and the door was bolted, locked up for fear. But the resurrection doesn't allow fear. The resurrection changes lives. Here's what it says further down in John. On the evening of that day, the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for what? For fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's like, fear don't, no, we don't do fear anymore. I'm raised from the dead. Fear, fear's not in the camp anymore. Fear's not allowed anymore. I mean, that's why the women were at the tomb by themselves. Because the guys were locked in a room. They were afraid. I think when Jesus had that peace be with you, I think it was one of those Elijah moments. You know what I'm talking about? Where Elijah was hiding in the cave because he was afraid. He's afraid of the king and his wife. He's like, man, I'm going to hide in this cave. I'm out. And God shows up in the cave. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding? Oh, you don't know. I'm the only one left in the whole land of Israel. I'm the only one left. And what does God say? You don't understand. I got 5,000 right over the hill. Get out of the cave and go do something amazing. I think that was what Jesus was saying. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm going to send you. Get out of the locked doors. Stop hiding for fear. See, the resurrection inspired hope where there was fear. Here's what Peter writes many years later. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, he lived in fear, locked in a room. I mean, he denied him three times that night. And then they lead him off to be crucified, and then he goes, locks himself in a room. That's fear, my friend. 
But when he writes the book of Peter, he's like, mm-mm-mm, I, I don't live in fear no more. I've been inspired. I've been inspired by the resurrection. What does it say? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Where there was fear, the resurrection inspired hope. The second one. The resurrection gives faith where there is fact. Let's go through the facts. Jesus is dead. The disciples are locked in a room. The movement was over. People had, were going back to where they came from. Some to Galilee. Some were still locked in a room in Jerusalem because they were afraid to go back to Galilee because who knows what could happen on the road. Some were on the road to Emmaus, Pastor Derek's favorite story. Some had said, man, I, we got to go. We got to get out of here. That's the fact. Let's talk about the faith that the resurrection brings. 1 Corinthians. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Of first importance is what Paul writes. What I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We read that in Isaiah. That He was buried. That's what happens after someone dies. That He was raised the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So you don't believe my story? Go talk to them. Though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, the Bible says in the mouth of what? Two or three witnesses, let everything be established. There's 500 plus. That's good enough for me. You see, the facts were, Jesus is dead, the movement's over, the disciples are scattered, but here's the faith aspect. Something amazing happened. The resurrection. Anybody ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? Uh, Thomas Jefferson took a Bible, cut out all of the miraculous things that Jesus did. It's called the, the Jefferson Bible. Um, all the miraculous, all the miracles, all the amazing healings that happened, he cut all those out. And in fact, do you know his Bible ends with Jesus' burial? There is no resurrection story in the Jefferson Bible. Talk about a miserable life. Talk about a miserable existence. Listen, uh, Jesus, I mean, this is, how he, this is how he looked at it. You know, Jesus was a really good guy. He told some really cool stories. Those miracles, eh, I'm not really sure. The resurrection, I wasn't there, you know, so I can't really, I mean, he's doubting Thomas times two. Right? I don't really know about that. Well, let me tell you something. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
He must have missed that part in his Bible. He must not have turned the page. He must have said, oh, you know, the, the Gospels are good. I'm going to stick there, minus the miracles and the resurrection. I'm not reading anything else past that. Because had he read the book of Acts, he would have read how many times it was preached by Peter, by Paul, by Stephen. He says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. That is the faith. There were facts. I can't argue the facts. The, the facts are the facts. But then faith shows up, amen? Faith shows up. But it says, but each in his order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That is the faith. You see, Thomas Jefferson lived in the facts. This is a fact. This is a fact. Yep, that's probably a fact. But he missed the faith that comes through the power of the resurrection. Number three, the resurrection grants power where there is frailty. When he was on that cross, everyone said, hey, if you say who you say you are, why don't you just come on down? Come on down. Show us. You show. I mean, he had done miracles. Raised people from the dead. They said, hey, you know what? If you come down, we'll really believe this time. Really? Let's be honest. Had he come down at that moment, they would have said, oh, you got to do one more. Just one more. There was frailty. Here's what Romans chapter 1 says. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. To you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power. Where we thought there was frailty, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. What do you mean by the gospel? The good news. Here's the gospel. Christ came because God loved us. John 3.16 he died for us. Why? Because God loved us. And he rose again. Why? Because God loves us. That is the gospel. It is the good news. That is our good news. We're no longer in our sins because of the faith that we have within us and the power of the resurrection. We get to live a life that we do not deserve, amen? There's an old song, I can't remember who sings it. It says, we get what we don't deserve and we don't get what we do deserve because of the gospel, because of the resurrection. 
You see Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. Are you familiar with that? Paul had letters from the high priest. He was wreaking havoc in the church, arresting people, putting them in prison, which still happens today, in case you don't know that. Believers around the world are arrested and put in prison. Some are killed for their faith. Many are killed for their faith. It says, it was a unique demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul realized that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was raised from the dead. This caused Paul to preach in a way that was amazing. You know why? Because he was on the other side. He switched sides. That's how powerful the resurrection is. It gets you to switch sides. It translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, the Bible says. It translates us. Something amazing happens. Why? Because Paul was on his way to keep killing. To keep arresting. He was at Stephen's stoning. It says that he held the... Oh, can I hold your jacket while you're throwing that stone? Let me hold your jacket for you. Can I hold your jacket as well, sir? This is amazing. He was there. He was on the other side. And yet the power of the resurrection translated him. So you see, without the resurrection, we're still in our sins. Without the power needed to become the sons of God. Here's what Ephesians 2 says about our frailty without the resurrection. Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins. That is a terrible sentence. Why would they put that in there? That's mean. That's hateful. You went along with the crowd and were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. Wow. That's the frailty that we lived in. But Jesus brought power through the resurrection. We have power to overcome because of the resurrection. Here's what John chapter 1 says. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, he gave the power to become the sons of God. To those who believe in him and his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, where there was frailty, God inserted power. And that power allows us to translate from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. I want you just to think where you would be right now without the resurrection.
It's not a pretty place, my friend. But the power that we receive because of the resurrection allows us to become the sons of God. Here's the fourth one. The resurrection instills life where there is fatality. You see, each and every day, we live in fatality. We are a fatality. Here's what Ephesians says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead. Say fatality. Say fatality. See, we were dead. We were a fatality. We were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, where there was fatality, the resurrection instills life. Here's what Colossians chapter 2 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through the faith and the power working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead, fatality, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Man, that's like a back, that's a forehand and a backhand. Not only are you dead in your trespasses and sin, you were uncircumcised as well. You had no chance, no chance at all without the resurrection. It said, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. That is a sermon in itself. There are legal demands when you own a debt. And it is a debt that you could not pay. This he set aside. You ever have a debt set aside? No, you know why? Because it doesn't happen. When you borrow from money from the bank, what does the Bible say? You, became, you become slave to the lender. Call up your bank and say, you know, we're such good buds. I've paid my payments on time. How about if you just set those aside for me? Click. Hello? Hello? Honey, they just hung up on me. Right? This is what, he, this is what it says. This God set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, the cross and the resurrection instills life where there is fatality. God is amazing. He gives us something because of the resurrection that we could never earn. 
We could never buy. We could never beg for it. We couldn't work hard enough for it. There's nothing that you could do to get what you didn't deserve except through the power of the resurrection. Darcy, why don't you come up? You see, we wouldn't have life. We'd still be in a fatality because we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. But the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection gives us life. Go live life. Go live the life that God has called you to live. Not a life for yourself, but a life that He has called you to live for Him and His kingdom. We're going to take communion this morning, so on your left, my right, uh, if you would grab your communion cup, we're going to prepare that. And you know, perhaps we as a church not just here, but as the body of Christ, the church worldwide. We're never more a church than we, when we gather at the table to worship and to remember in communion. So I'm going to give you just a moment to get your communion cups ready. take communion to remember him we take communion to to remember the the power that's in the resurrection we take communion to to remember the the power that we have together as the church the bride of Christ because of the resurrection Here's what it says in Luke chapter 22. It says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Likewise, he also took the cup, cup of redemption after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you let's partake of the cup you know the resurrection inspires hope gives faith grants power instills life into every situation for us if we allow it. Why don't we stand this morning? Heavenly Fathers, we celebrate the power of the resurrection.
Thank you that you've given us the power to become the sons and daughters of God. Let us live and walk within that each and every day. Living that Zoe type of life, the God kind of life that you've called us to walk in. Father God, that we have hope because of the resurrection. That we have power and that we have life. We have faith because of the resurrection. Thank you for translating us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son that can only happen because of the power that is within the resurrection. Will you speak to us each and every day, leading us and guiding us to do the things that you've called us to do. For you and for your kingdom. This is not about us. This is about seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship you. Thank you for being our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Thank you for being our banner. Thank you for all the things that you continue to do in our lives. Thank you for loving us when we had done nothing to deserve to be loved. When we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, you had a plan for us. For you love people. You would desire that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life in you. Father God, let us take that message that you came because you loved us. That you died because you loved us. And that you rose again because you loved us. Let us take that to those in our circles of influence at work, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Open up doors of opportunities, Father, that no man could open and no man could shut to speak your love and your peace into a dying generation. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed rest of your Easter Sunday.